stand by while NCLA cuts through the noise to signal abuse of administrative power. This is Administrative Static with Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchione. Welcome back to Administrative Static, and we have a little change of pace, but I think it's very exciting that um, yesterday our um, our uh, captain, uh, Mark Chenoweth, uh, was called into uh, Congress to testify about uh, basically our cases having to do with censorship of the media by the government. So um, we are also joined by Janine Yunus, who has helmed many of those cases and who was also uh, at the hearing. And, and instrumental in compiling the testimony. <laughs> and instrumental in compiling the testimony. So, uh, Mark, uh, who did you testify before? So this was the oversight subcommittee of the House uh, Committee on Homeland Security. And uh, Dan Bishop is the chairman of the subcommittee. Glenn Ivey, a congressman from Maryland, bishops from North Carolina, uh, Ivy as the ranking member uh, of the subcommittee. Right. And um, so you had prepared testimony and then you had questions. Right. So the way these things work, so we had four people on our panel. So uh, uh, Chairman Bishop and, and ranking member Ivy each gave their opening statements. Uh, and then other members could submit opening statements for the record. And then each of the witnesses on the first panel had a five-minute uh, opening statement. So Michael Schellenberger uh, went first to folks who've been following the social media censorship issue, uh, know him well. He's one of the journalists who was invited in uh, to review the Twitter files and expose a lot of the information uh, there. Uh, and then I was uh, then I was batting second, which was kind of funny because back in Little League, I used to bat second a lot. <laughs> Because I was, they always need to, they always need to get one bad bat early in the order <laughs> in Little League, you know. And I could bunt and run, but I couldn't hit, so they they put me up there sometimes. And then who were the two from the other side? So there were three from oh. from the majority okay. uh, side, and um, the let's see, I have that right here. The um, the other majority witness was Gary Lokowski from the Council to Modernize Governance. And then the, uh, the minority witness was Alex Abdo, litigation director of the Knight First Amendment Institute at Columbia uh, University. So Columbia was well represented sort of indirectly there <laughs> since, uh, since we all work for Philip Hamburger at, uh, at Columbia. But um, and, that was... And so what, tell me, uh, what was your testimony? What was the gist of the five-minute uh, uh, introduction, I guess, to this problem? Yeah. So, you know, I had submitted extensive written testimony and, and several... Uh, and, and an appendix with articles by Janine and by uh, and by Margot uh, Cleveland, uh, who's been all over this issue for the Federalist and, and works with us uh, on, on some of these cases as well. Uh, but on, for the for the oral testimony, I decided I really wanted to focus. One of the things that maybe set me apart a little bit from the other folks who on the panel was the fact that I am a lawyer and you know, bring that background. And I thought, well. Uh, let me let me focus on the legal principles that are at stake here, and the legal principles that that Congress needs to keep in mind, or or needs to get straight if it's going to uh, you know legislate in this area in a in a productive way. And so, the first thing I said is that, that look, the government uh, is not the arbiter of of truth. And uh, you know, I quoted Justice Robert Jackson, who had said 
uh, this is back in a in a nineteen forty five uh, a case, um, and I'm blanking on the name of the case at, at the moment, but it's in the written testimony. Uh, but it, he said that the very purpose of the First Amendment is to foreclose public authority from assuming a guardianship of the public mind. Every person must be his own watchman for truth, because the forefathers did not trust any government to separate the true from false. And and I and I really wanted to drive that home with the members to say, look, we can't have a situation where we say, well, the government gets to sort of pass judgment on what's true and what's false, and then private parties can go off and censor whatever the government has called false, and we can pretend that no censorship by the government has happened. That's just not that. that I don't think that's uh, copacetic. Right, and. Um, and and so this this idea about being and I say I do say this all the time that um, it, it it shouldn't depend on whose ox is getting gored and <laughs> and and it does seem that as soon as these hearings start it's always about whose ox is getting gored by the censorship of the time but if if you, what you got to make the decision is does the government have this power or not I think that decision was made in the Constitution. But it does seem that they up up there on the hill. It's always like, oh well, if you tried to stop this speech, that's okay. But this speech is not okay, and and they don't they won't take a step back and say, well, is this good under constitutional structure to have any of it? Yeah, so that's I, right. Well, I was just going to say the ranking member uh, Ivy, you know, used used the point and said, well, you know, some of that COVID speech is fine, but. Uh, uh, and, and what he was referring to was stuff that was censored, by the way. Right. But what about that, you know, bleach in the veins, you know, kind of <laughs> right. that, like, we certainly, we need to take that right. that down. And, you know, they always sort of go to those extreme examples uh, of of speech uh, to suggest that that you can draw the line somewhere, uh, that if it's false enough, then, then you know, you, so then censorship's okay. But I don't think that's the way that the First Amendment works. Well, Janine, no, and that's... And, yeah. and Janine, and we say this all the time, that we like to... Uh, we like to defend people who are saying true things that's getting censored, right. but that's not what the Constitution <laughs> says, right? Right. And part of the point of that is uh, this case sort of illustrates our case illustrates why um, we don't want government involved in that because they, you know, they would be claiming to just be protecting you from the bleach tweets, but then you have them veering into censoring people like Martin Kuldorf, who's a top epidemiologist at Harvard, uh, for saying naturally, I mean, people don't need the vaccine. So we obviously can't trust government to draw these lines. That's right, and that was the second uh, principle that I enunciated for the the panel was that the First Amendment protects even false speech, and this was the uh, you know, about ten years ago the 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 so-called um, stolen honor case U.S. v. Alvarez, where the Supreme Court held that that false statements are not beyond constitutional uh, protection, and that uh, and they said that quote were the court to hold that the interest in truthful discourse alone is sufficient to sustain a ban on speech. It would give government a broad sensorial power unprecedented in this court's cases or in our constitutional tradition. And there's two things about that. That Alvarez case was people who said they had Medal of Honors and stuff. Now, if I had – most Medal of Honors are awarded posthumously. So if someone in my family had gotten the Medal of Honor and died during it and there was a guy going around to do that, I mean I think that's outrageous, right? Because it, it is outrageous. And then you have the one where these these folks from the Western Baptist – I forget what the name of the organization is – were like oh, yelling West, horrible yeah. West Baptist Westboro, Church. Westboro Baptist. Yeah, they, they were They're yelling, from Kansas, John. No, they, they, they're yeah, they're yelling they're horrible things at people at funerals about these dying yeah. people and they allowed that too. Now – I probably agree with Alito on that, I must say, but I but he was he was in the one minority. I was going to say but, it was an eight to one vote, right? Exactly, it? but but um, but because I 
it would be my view that that would start fight and violence, at least at the funerals that happened in my family. So in any event, but what I do think is that if those are constitutional law, this has to be wrong. I should point out that Alito is from Jersey, so I might might explain his vote. And Italians, correct. So so in any event, but I do think that it is that it is if those cases are active and true and they're all recent, this has to be out out of order. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, the Ivy, the, the uh, representative from Maryland, also said something that kind of surprised me, like about Osama bin Laden's letter, which was, well, government obviously needs to censor that kind of thing. We don't want Americans to be able to read that. And I mean, I assume most people don't agree with the letter, but it should be accessible to Americans if they yeah. want to know yeah. what he said. I, I, the I, idea that government, you know, should be deciding what would be our, our, it's essentially acting like a parent or something. Well, we're yeah. children. Well, I also, mean, it's peacetime. Right. There's one thing if you say we are at war and we're going to stop this propaganda coming across from me. Oh, yeah. he's dead. We're done yeah. with that fight. They already silenced, like, they silenced him already. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's not like they can, it's not like this is all peacetime activity. There's no national security involved with it. They, they're yeah. censoring Americans for saying things they want to say in America. And it is, it is really a ra- outrage. There is one thing I do want to mention, at least from your testimony in the first. This it didn't seem like there was a lot of craziness in Congress. Like they were, they they asked questions and they made their statements, and it wasn't like mean. But I didn't see all the questioning. Gene, what was your impression? It was much more sedate than some of the weaponization hearings. <laughs> <laughs> they were much more polite. Yeah, that was my impression. So I, I was I didn't know if it was the membership or the top, but I thought the topic was very. Touchy, I thought it could be, but it, I did think that it was the way I think hearings should go. Well, I think part of it was just who the members are, because yeah. they had a very similar hearing about two weeks ago on the weaponization one, and it was not like that. It was very, <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of yelling. and. <laughs> I thought my nice, sedate manner just set the tone, John. Oh, you, don't, yeah. you don't think that's what it was? Well, yeah. And I will say this. Mark is—you uh, you hear Mark. I, watch the testimony and then listen to some of these and see if he, he was not a little bit caffeinated. <laughs> so, uh, but, guilty, but, guilty. so what other points did you make? So that was that was one. Yeah, so, thing so the third point that I made was that the government can't do indirectly what the First Amendment forbids it from doing directly, and that's you know it's a pretty basic, a pretty basic uh, point. But uh, there, there seems to be a, a sense on the other side that the bully pulpit includes the power to harangue social media platforms to remove the lawful speech of third parties, and and what we're trying to say is no, look. There's a difference between, you know, if President Truman goes out and, and harangues the, the steel companies or President Trump goes out and harangues Ford about moving a factory to Mexico or something. That's the president uh, picking on a company who uh, can make its own decisions about what to do with its own speech and its own conduct and actions. But if you're going out and you're asking Twitter or Facebook or one of these other, other social media platforms to take down my speech or Janine's speech or your speech, John, we're not part of that conversation. And so... Uh, and first of all, if it's lawful speech, the government has no right at all to even ask for that. And so I think that's where we have to draw the line. It's if it's lawful speech, because uh, Ranking Member Ivy said, well, you know, what about child pornography and like, you, you know, the usual sort of parade of horribles? And the answer is that's unlawful speech. The government's right. perfectly entitled to not only ask that it be taken down, but insist that it be uh, taken down. Correct. You if, can't. if it's even speech, that's the, well, yeah. I mean, the, right. Well, and yeah, and uh, and I think that's that's a good point too. But uh, so we um, uh, we'll be back with more uh, after this to to talk more about it. But but I think that that's an important distinction that 
that gets lost sometimes is this between lawful speech and unlawful speech. And there's no problem with shutting down unlawful speech. And NCLA has never said otherwise. 